many weeks or months after this. And he was hoping that uh, they would heed this call, um, they would read these chapters and realise the truth. As we'll see in a moment, he was being criticised by some in the church for being base when present with them. He even admits that, who in presence them base among you. Uh, his, critics was, was, his critics were saying, well, Paul is base when he is amongst, amongst us, but when he's absent from us, when he's writing his letters to us, he is bold. So in this opening salvo, uh, Paul told them that he was beseeching them by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now this was a very clever thing to do because he was being criticised basically for being uh, meek and gentle. Okay, When he was among them, he's base, he's meek and gentle. And he admits here that although he was bold writing his letters to them, he was also base when physically among them and he didn't deny it. He's telling us, you might can understand that's exactly what happens. But he wanted to remind these, these proud Greeks that being base, by being base, he was actually being like Christ. Let's uh, leave you a little... Uh, Little, uh, I have a little marker in my Bible. Let's leave that there and let's go over to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, a very well-known verse. Matthew 11 and 29. I have a red-letter edition of the Bible. It's really handy. This lets me know when, you know, what, when, what, well, when Jesus was speaking, gives us the words of Jesus in red and these words in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 are in red. Uh, and it, uh, here Jesus says to his disciples, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. The word meek here, the Greek word, is the same translated base in 2 Corinthians 10, 1. Paul said, Yes, I admit I am base, I am meek among you, but I'm beseeching you by the meekness and lowliness of Christ. Like Paul, Jesus was meek. Jesus was base, if you like, in human terms. Now the word actually means to be of low degree. Neither Paul nor Jesus, you see, were high born. If anything, Paul was born higher in status than Jesus. Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem, not in the palace in Jerusalem. His mother was a simple village maiden, not a, not a princess or a noble. He was raised, Jesus was raised in the despised city of Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And sorry, Paul, but he had the lowly occupation of a carpenter. That's pretty meek. That's pretty base. Jesus was meek, of slows, of low social degree, and he was gentle. Although he could drive the money changers out of the temple, at the same time he could bless the children on his knee and offer help to the sick and needy. Jesus, by his own admission, was meek and lowly and we know he was gentle. Jesus didn't come in his first coming as the Lord of hosts riding a great charger at the head of a mighty army, but he did come as Israel's king and they should have seen it. It had been prophesied about. Have a look in Matthew 21 
and verse 5. Being meek and coming as a, a meek king was what they should have known and recognised about in Matthew 21 and verse 5. We'll read verse 4. This was after Jesus <coughs> came down uh, into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, that's the prophet Zechariah, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And so Jesus was meek and gentle, but his ministry was anything but carnal. That's blasphemy. You see, to be meek and gentle doesn't mean that your ministry is carnal. It can be powerful and it can be of God, even though you are meek and gentle, because that's the way it was for Jesus. In fact, his spiritual words and deeds changed the world, and you know, the world has not been the same since. Look at history before Christ and after Christ and there's a huge difference and that's how we define time, don't we? Before Christ or after Christ. Or at least the Christians do these days. Everybody used to, but we do today. And so Paul cleverly besought his critics in Corinth by the meekness and gentleness of Christ to remind them that he was in good company. He said, yes, I admit I am base, I am meek when I am among you, but listen, I'm in good company. That's exactly the way Jesus was. And friends, when we are meek, it's not the same as being weak. When we are meek and gentle, we are just being like Jesus. And I think that's the way he would have us be. I think he would have us be meek and gentle like him. So back to Paul and his letter to the Corinthians. After his call in verse 1, I beseech you there, are you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. Paul then went on to answer two specific criticisms that had been labelled at him. And we'll just look at the first one today. In verses 6 to 11, we have these two criticisms uh, against his ministry, um, and uh, we'll just look at one of them today. The first criticism, and Paul's response to that criticism, is in verses 2 to 6. Let's begin by reading verse 2. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with you, with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. In verse 1, Paul admitted that he had been relatively base or meek when he had visited the church in the past. And he was hoping by sending this letter his critics would be silenced and he wouldn't have to change his manner when he came again. At the time of writing this epistle, he was fairly confident he would be bold when he came to some in the congregation. He didn't want to be that way. He wanted to be his same meek self. But he was confident if these people weren't silenced or they didn't change, that when he came the next time, things would be different. He said here that some, wherewith I think to be bold against some. So it had to be more than one person. But, but some, some people in the church at Corinth 
were spreading a view that Paul and his fellow ministers walked according to the flesh, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. The accusation was that Paul's ministry and the ministry of his fellow workers was a carnal or fleshly ministry. Whenever you see flesh and carnal, it's the same Greek word. word. It's the same idea. It's flesh, it's human, not spiritual. Now, I suppose these some people who were claiming or saying this about Paul, I suppose, uh, saying that Paul's ministry was carnal, I, I suppose they considered themselves to be the spiritual ones. Oh, yes, we're far more spiritual than Paul, his ministry. Well, that's a carnal ministry. Now, by this, I suppose they meant that Paul's motives were carnal or his methods were carnal. Perhaps they were touting the view that Paul was winning over people by the power of his personality or through his natural talents. Now, that seems to me to be a bit of a contradiction. You see, they also accused him of being weak and physically unimpressive. Have a look in verse 10. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. <laughs> so on the one hand, he's being criticised as, you know, his, his ministry is basically a carnal one. He's, he's basically depending upon his natural abilities. And on the other hand, we know that he's weak and his speech contemptible. It seems a bit of a contradiction from these critics. But Paul was criticised by some for walking according to the flesh. And in one way, I'm glad this happened, simply because of how we answered their criticism. That's the criticism, that Paul and his team, they're walking according to the flesh. Their ministry is a carnal ministry, not a spiritual ministry. Well, I'm glad they made that accusation because here's Paul's answer. It's wonderful. Paul said in verses 3 to 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. These are some of the most powerful words that Paul ever wrote in all of his epistles. Paul began by admitting that he and his fellow ministers did walk in the flesh. <laughs> but so does everybody else, including his super spiritual critics. You see, if you, you aren't walking in the flesh, then you're dead. <laughs> you're not alive. You're just some sort of a spook or a spirit. And Paul admitted, yes, we do walk in the flesh. So does everybody else. But he went on to say, although he walked in the flesh, he didn't war after the flesh. And Paul was letting his detractors know that he, that he was in a spiritual battle. And, and maybe they were on the wrong side. That's what he's going to come to in the next chapter. Very, very clearly. He was letting them know that he was in a spiritual battle. He was in a battle pitted against the forces of evil. It was a battle for the souls of men with eternity at stake. Heaven or hell? Eternal damnation or eternal life? He told the Ephesians this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul's ministry was anything but carnal. It was spiritual warfare. 
And this is why he told the Corinthians that the weapons of his war warfare were not carnal. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The demonic enemy he faced couldn't be beaten with carnal weapons. You can't stab a spirit or shoot a demon. <laughs> it would be the same as trying to punch out the wind. It's impossible. You can't defeat a spiritual enemy with fleshly weapons. To defeat this satanic enemy, he needed the mighty power of God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. To defeat this satanic enemy, he needed the mighty power of God. And by God's power, he testifies here to the church and to his, critic, his critics there in that church that he and his fellow ministers have been able to cast down strongholds. Now, these strongholds weren't those made of bricks and mortar, the castles and the fortresses that dotted the empire, <clears throat> but these were the strongholds of the mind that hold men and women captive to sin and to Satan. Through God's power, they were able to cast down imaginations, casting down imaginations. This is the word from which we get our word logic, logismos, and it refers to man-made ideas or man-made religion. Through the weapons, the, the mighty weapons of God, the spiritual weapons, they were able to cast down imaginations. They were able to free some who were captives to Greek philosophy. That was a big deal in, in Greece. <clears throat> they were able to free others who were bound by idolatry and false religion, people who'd worshipped idols all their life and lived in an adulterous culture, culture freed from all of that by these spiritual weapons. They were able to free many who had been possessed by demons. In fact, in his first epistle, Paul mentioned some of the strongholds these Corinthians had been freed from when he preached the gospel to them. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, they should have been aware of the mighty power of God to bring down the strongholds in their own lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Wow. Uh, that's pretty well summarises uh, the Coffs Harbour community, the world at large. But look at the blessing for these people. Some, they were some of these things, these people, but then it says... And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The weapons of Paul's warfare, as he waged those weapons, wielded those weapons in the city of Corinth for over 18 months on his first visit, the weapons of Paul's warfare had cast down many of the strongholds that once held these Corinthians captive. In fact, back in 2 Corinthians 10 5, Paul wrote that with spiritual weaponry, they were able to cast down any high thing. Now, that 
That's high in the eyes of man. Oh, they think this superior philosophy. Oh, this superior religion. This is a more powerful God. Paul says, with spiritual weaponry, they are able to cast down any high thing, any high thing that had exalted itself against the knowledge of God. If God said it was one thing and it said it was the other, they were able to cast that down, that, that stronghold. By spiritual weaponry, every evil thought man could think up, whether by reason or religion, could be brought into the obedience of Christ. Don't you love those words? He says, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There wasn't a stronghold of man's imagination that the power of God couldn't subdue. You know, it's said of Alexander the Great that no castle or fortress was ever able to keep him out. Whenever he found one that was different, he found a way to uh, get into it or destroy it. And in just ten years of conquering, he left a new Greek empire in his wake. Now, he did that with the with the he did that by warring after the flesh. And, and with his warring by his warring after the flesh, no one could defeat him. Well, when Paul wrote this second epistle to the Corinthians, he was near the end of his third missionary journey. In just over 20 or so years, he had conquered spiritual strongholds all over the Roman Empire. There were hundreds of churches, I would contest, contend, with thousands of people saved from every war of life. Jews freed from Judaism. Pagans had been freed from idolatry. Slaves and masters were now brothers and sisters in Christ. From the poorest in the empire to the palace of the seas of the power of God had brought many to bend the knee to Christ all through the ministry of this base Jewish man. You see, as Paul wrote 2 Corinthians and tried to answer his detractors, he and his fellow workers had the runs on the board, which his critics couldn't deny. But he didn't accomplish all of this by warring after the flesh. That's his point. Paul didn't ride at the head of a mighty army like Alexander did. He didn't win his empire with sword and spear and the force of arms. No. The weapons of his warfare were the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. He had on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. His loins were girt with truth. His feet were shod with the preparation of the gospel and he shared that gospel everywhere he went. And when this base Jewish man and his motley team entered towns and villages from Galatia to Greece, no one would even have noticed them. They just looked like an ordinary bunch of men. But when they left those towns and villages, a light had been lit for the gospel and lives were changed and communities were changed forever. Brethren, we face that same diabolical enemy that Paul faced all those years ago. Satan still holds men's minds captive with imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Some of those imaginations are ancient like the witch doctors of Africa or Islam. Some are modern like communism and evolution. 
These are the strongholds we need to war against and cast down. But we don't need bombs or political parties or crusades. But every day we need to put on the same armour Paul put on and preach the same gospel that he preached. And through the mighty power of God, Satan's strongholds will fall. But we need to be meek and gentle like Jesus was. And we need to wield our spiritual weapons just as Paul did. Paul's critics were way off the mark, you see, claiming his ministry was carnal in nature. And so having shared his answer to that criticism, he went on to warn them. He went on to warn them that they shouldn't mistake his Christ-like meekness for weakness. Because if they didn't accept what he said in this epistle and, and all, of the, all that he'd said in all the epistle, then when he did finally come, he would indeed be bold and not base. And he would exercise apostolic authority. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. After answering his critics about his ministry being carnal, he went on to say in verse 6, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience your obedience is fulfilled. Paul kept up with the military metaphor here, I believe. And it seems, as he wrote this, he was trying to terrify them. You know, it's good to be terrified sometimes. Uh, my father was terrified of, of sharks and he would never go into the beach. But you know what? He never drowned and he never got eaten by sharks. Uh, <laughs> I'm terrified of other things, uh, uh, probably snakes and spiders and all that. So it keeps me safe. Good to be terrified sometimes. I'm terrified of hell. I'm terrified of spending an eternity in hell. And that was when I was a child. That was enough for me to call upon Christ to save me. I'm terrified of going to hell. And, and, and if you're a good parent, you'll terrify your children with something or other that you don't want them to get into. And so it seems he was trying to terrify them of the consequence of disobeying what he'd said, not just here, but in all of his epistles. He was ready. He said, I'm in a readiness. I'm ready if needed, to revenge. That word is translated in our Bibles in other places, avenge. means the same thing. To avenge all who disobeyed. He was ready to do that if needed. But charitably, he assumed that the majority of the church would respond the right way. The idea is that he would have sent this letter, they would have understood, accepted his uh, answers, and they would have supported him like they had before. And if there was any who didn't support him, then when he came, they're the people he would gun for. I think that's what he meant when he told them, when your obedience is fulfilled, and having all readiness to revenge, all disobedience, when your obedience is fulfilled. Adam Clark wrote this, I am ready through the mighty armour of God to punish those opposers of the doctrine of Christ and the disobedience which has been produced by them. Now this all sounds a bit tough, doesn't it? But people's eternal destiny was at stake. That's what we need to remember. We'll see later that those who were coming, who had come among them, those who had come among them and were criticising Paul were also teaching false doctrine. And where does false doctrine get you? Into hell. Keeps you out of heaven. And, and if you knew that someone was teaching false doctrine, wouldn't you want to terrify the people who might inclined to believe that doctrine. So Paul warned them 
that he was ready to be bold and not to be his usual meek self when he came. And brethren, we are to be meek and gentle like Jesus, absolutely no doubt about that. But we also need to be ready like Paul to be bold against those who teach false doctrine. And I don't mind naming false doctrine if it's going to save people from the burning. We oughtn't be mealy-mouthed about it if it's wrong, if it's against the knowledge of God, if it's going to mean people believe a gospel that is not a gospel, then we need to be bold against it. Yes, meek and gentle like Jesus, but ready to be bold against those who false do- who teach false doctrine. So, in this little passage, Paul addressed the first criticism of his having a carnal ministry. The second criticism is in verses 7 to 11, and that's what we'll look at next time. So let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for, Lord, the gospel that has been somebody has shared with us. We thank you that that gospel, just that simple message of Jesus dying for our sins, being buried and rising from the dead, that simple message of faith in Christ was the power of God to bring us salvation. It made our dead spirits alive when we believed it. It gave us that inheritance in heaven and the means to escape in eternity in hell. We thank you, Father, our Lord, for the, the, my, your mighty power uh, through the gospel. And, Father, we thank you now that for, the, for those of us who have believed that we now can access that same spiritual power that same spiritual weaponry that Paul, our Lord, used to transform the whole of the Roman Empire. Uh, we pray that, Lord, we might take upon us that the armour of God, that we might fight against, uh, Lord, those spiritual, uh, Lord, uh, enemies, uh, that we might win people to Christ and save them too. So, Father, we thank you for our time in your word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.